Welcome to this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On today's episode, I talk with August Alfesen. August is a software developer and missionary in Iceland. This is a really great conversation discussing reaching a tough secular society and how Bitcoin can help. We discuss the church, missions, and Bitcoin. August has an active ministry using Bitcoin to introduce a Christian worldview. We also discuss my white knuckle driving experience in Iceland several years ago. This is a great conversation. I know you will enjoy it. Now, a little bit about our sponsors. Jeter Melder LLP is more than a law firm. It is a legal team. Justin and Michael have over 30 years of experience working with different clients on different legal issues from different sides of the docket in areas such as business disputes, constitutional rights, employment agreements, employment discrimination, local counsel, and pay issues. Jeter Melder have advocated in federal and state courts in Arkansas, California, Illinois, New Mexico, and Texas. With a unique blend of clients from doctors, fellow attorneys, tradesmen, hourly workers, and the unemployed to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, they all have one thing in common. They believe in Jeter Melder and Jeter Melder believes in them. Give them a call at 214-699-4758 or visit them at JeterMelder.com. That's J-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-D-E-R.com. Hi, August. Uh, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. And for, for the audience, August is Icelandic. And so I'm going to say his last name once and try to get it right. It's Olafsson. Olafsson. August Olafsson. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, and uh, I, I may have mentioned I have actually been to Iceland. I went there with my daughter uh, for a graduation trip. This is, I don't know, 2015, 2016. Uh, I think we went a little bit early. It was um, late April, early May. It was probably <laughs> the coldest and windiest place on earth ever. <laughs> I've ever been. <laughs> it was beautiful, but uh, a little, uh, a little chilly. <laughs> So, but, uh, and then the other issue thing about it, um, August is we were traveling up through the North side, um, the Northwest portion of Iceland. We drove, we rented a car and drove around Iceland and we got up to the fjords and up near, um, um, the, the church mountain, um, can't remember the Icelandic name, but the, um, we got up there and we were supposed to take a ferry across the the bay or whatever that that body of water is and the ferry was under repair so we had to actually drive around up through the fjords and it was absolutely beautiful but when we came back we got caught in a snowstorm a blizzard i i could i could see just beyond the hood of the car and for those who have never been to Iceland, when you get that far outside of Reykjavik, I mean, there really aren't that many paved roads. It was, it's gravel and you're at several thousand feet. There are no guardrails on these roads. And I, it was a white knuckle experience for me. And we're traveling down and there happened to be an emergency shelter that I noticed coming when we came um, the, several days before. And I made a mental note to myself. Okay, I know where the emergency shelter is. So if something happens, that's where we're going to stop. So we got to the emergency shelter and you rarely see cars on the road up that um, uh, frequently, uh, especially that far north. And at least in my experience. And 
uh, I stopped and I waved this car down. I rolled my windows down and I said, hey, uh, we're Americans. <laughs> Is this safe? <laughs> so the guy, the guy said, Oh yeah, yeah. Just follow me. And he just took off. And I was, we were screaming down this mountain with the blizzard and Oh my goodness. It was, um, quite a hair raising experience, but, uh, we really enjoyed. Oh, anyway, this is not about me. This is about you, but I, I just thought it's, it's a great, it's a funny story. And I thought I would share it, but I guess tell us a little bit about, uh, you and what you do and, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's hear about that. Well, thank you. Uh, I enjoy uh, being on your show. Uh, so I live here in South Iceland. I'm a software engineer and I've been working in software since 2000. So uh, half of my time uh, goes into doing that. I work for a company that is working with uh, Microsoft uh, business software and uh, I'm kind of the database guy, helping people getting data out of their databases and moving it around. Uh, for the other half of my time, uh, I recently started working uh, and uh, ministering as a missionary here in Iceland uh, and beyond, actually. And uh, my prime focus is to reach the university uh, groups, uh, students here in Iceland. There is not much happening as for evangelism here in Iceland. And uh, I, I have a passion to, the way I put it is to give them an opportunity to hear the gospel because uh, the reality now is that most of them really do not have this engaging opportunity to hear the gospel. And uh, when that is the reality, we are kind of in the place where Paul writes in Romans 10, you know, how can they believe if they haven't heard? So yeah. I'm, I'm very motivated to, to, to work on that. August, tell me about your faith journey uh, and then how you got into missions. <laughs> Uh, well, I came to faith uh, in the fall of 1995. Uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, so marriage is, is very optional here in Iceland. Uh, we were moving into a, an apartment uh, in uh, Reykjavik, the capital, together, starting uh, school. And uh, one of the things that came out, came out of my wife's boxes was a very small black and white TV combined with a cassette player. I'm talking four and a half inch. Okay. Mm -hmm. The only thing visible on that thing when we turned it on was a local Christian TV station. Mm. It's the only station that worked. Okay. And we made a joke out of it and put it up in a closet somewhere and said to ourselves, you know, we'll, we'll be preaching downtown in a couple of weeks. We were just joking about it. But about a week later, I was bored. Uh, I thought to myself, surely I can see the news or something on this thing. But no, just this Christian TV station. I started watching from time to time. And um, what I said started taking turns in my head. So I went through this thought process. First, I thought, is there a God or not? Mm. And looking around that creation, I felt it, uh, you know, it would be a, a far stretch to say this is all a coincidence. Um, so I can see sign i can see beauty and that points to a designer so it is more likely than not that there is a god the next question was who is he and the, and the logical question is is he good or bad and again looking at creation you can see beautiful design that points to a good god i also realized that if i was really honest with myself i was a, myself sometimes contributing to the brokenness of this of this world so you can't really blame all evil on God. And besides, it's really pointless to believe in a bad God anyway. 
So it's more likely than not that God is, is a good God. Then my third uh, question was, well, or, or, or point was, now, if he is good, he will have some way for me with my honest heart to connect with him. If he is good and fair and righteous and all of that. And having concluded that, I reached my fourth conclusion, which is, therefore, I conclude that there is at least enough in the Bible for me to connect with God. Without knowing much about the Bible, uh, I'm going to say there's at least enough for me to have this connection with God. But that was the most important kind of thought journey that I went through. And you can see the ones and zeros, you know, it's either yeah, or. Yeah, and, yeah. and again, that's that's how I think. And none of this is something I, I could prove, but but we have truths that, that we can't prove. So that, that's another conversation. So at that point, it got a bit scary because I realized that if I was going to be honest with myself, I would need mm. to act on it. You know, you can't reach a conclusion and not act on it because then you're kind of cheating on yourself. Yeah. So I decided just to ask God with my own words, if he was there and if he wanted to have anything to do with me. And, and notice I'm just by myself. I've been watching TV. There's no one there banging, banging me in the head with the Bible or anything like that. I'm just by myself. So it was evening and uh, I just asked God, you know, if you, I've heard you sent your son to die from my sins, you know, are you there? If you're there, you know, here I am. And I'm telling you, the moment I opened up my mouth, he showed up. I mm. had a very strong experience of him. Uh, I was brutally honest, asking him if he was there. And he he met me in, in a strong way. So that's Praise my Lord. moment of, uh, of uh, finding God or him finding me. That's fantastic. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm working through the book of John with uh, a new believer and, you know, it, it really is amazing because I think the, the options before us with the gospel are ones and zeros. We like to think that there's grayness, but uh, Jesus makes it very clear, you know, you're either with me or against me. And it's, it's very binary. And I think we confuse the subject sometimes if we went through the logical process you just did, honestly, with ones and zeros, if you're honest, I, it's the truth is there, you know, um, and, but we, we confuse it with a, a bunch of 1.1s and 0.5s. So, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're in the area of, 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 quantum theory which i'm not strong in <laughs> but with normal math you know if you yeah. say two plus three you know the it is five and and yeah. saying it is six and, and disagreeing with you i'm not attacking attacking you personally you know it, it's either true or not so well tell me uh, so how did you i guess you went to school in reykjavik so you you are icelandic did you spend any time in the states yeah, I went to school in uh, in uh, Reykjavik back in 95 to 98. I started music education. And then mm. in 2000, I started studying software engineering. Finished that in 04. And, that, was a uh, hard, that was a hard time to study software engineering. <laughs> the dot-com uh, bust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good for me. Yeah. And uh, as I was wrapping that up, I realized that 
this was the moment I would need to make a decision about what I felt God was stirring in my heart. Uh, so it was kind of the option of either getting a job and sitting in front of the screen from nine to five for the next 30 years <laughs> or mm -hmm. to explore this adventure with God that I felt he was, he was stirring in my heart. So to make a longer story short, we sold our apartment and, and I went to a seminary, a small seminary in, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we lived there from 05 to, to 08. Uh, then we came back to Iceland, uh, worked and ministered there for 11 years. And then actually I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, from 2019 to 2020 for about 10 months or so, working with uh, Dr. Rice Brooks, who uh, is uh, an evangelist and a church planter. Uh, he's the guy who wrote uh, the God's Not Dead book that spurred the, the sure. movies. So, yes. um, I uh, really enjoyed working with him and I'm, I'm still working with the organization uh, called Every Nation that he started with uh, two of his friends. Okay, fantastic. Uh, explain, uh, I mean, most of Europe, from my reading, most of Europe is about two to three per, two to three percent evangelical. I mean, is that is that true for Iceland? Is it okay? And the what what does church look like in Iceland? Um, is it a bunch of small churches? Is it just some big, large churches? I mean, kind of, and the population of Iceland is what? 300,000, 400,000? Yeah, 360, 70,000 or so. Okay. Uh, okay. The church, I often say that church landscape is very different in Iceland compared to the U.S. So we have a thousand year old history. Uh, mm -hmm. Christianity be present in Iceland. Iceland is settled. The official record says around 870. I actually maintain that uh, the first people to settle Iceland were Celtic monks that came over here in around 500 or so. Uh, but then Iceland became a Christian nation officially in the year 1000, which is a very interesting story in and of itself. Then uh, Lutheranism comes, shows up around 1550. And uh, we've had a state a Lutheran state church since that time. Uh, currently, it is kind of separated from the state uh, in theory, but it is similar to Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, this idea of having a state church, which I think many of many of us believe was never a good idea to begin with, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's mm -hmm. another story. So the reality now is that, yes, you have churches spread, these National Lutheran churches spread uh, all over the place. Uh, it's a real hit and miss if you actually hear the gospel preached, if you go into mm. any one of them on a given Sunday. Having said that, I have friends in, in that church who are really doing a great job and are really honest, but there's also a lot of people who really do not believe in God when everything is said and done. And part of that is how they train their leaders uh, in the university. And, uh, you know, that's another story. So mm -hmm. then we have some free churches that are not part of that, you know, National Lutheran Church state system. I've been working with uh, the Pentecostal Church here in Iceland. I've also been a part of a group that uh, started a Lutheran uh, charismatic church back in 97. Uh, it's a small world here in Iceland. I, I know all personally, I know all the Christian leaders here in Iceland. So, uh, it is, with our young people, like I said earlier, I believe there's a great potential. It is, as you pointed out, you know, two to three percent of people that really would 
you could say, have Jesus as the Lord of their lives. And uh, but that is also an opportunity because atheism, when you really think about it and, and when you really talk to people, atheism doesn't really hold water. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you just gently ask people questions and you, you talk to them, many of them realize that. And I think there's a great potential to help them realize that and just lovingly offer them uh, alternatives. And what, so what does ministry look like for you with young people on the university? I mean, what, what does that look like? That's a great, great question. I've been thinking about that, uh, really how to approach that since last spring. I'm kind mm. of a go-getter by nature. So when, when something becomes clear, I will just go for it. But the last spring, God really puts the, put the brakes on me and said, okay, we're going to think about this. We're going to pray about this and we're going to really look into how to approach this. So I was actually just last night sending out my monthly newsletter to my supporters where I was kind of spelling out the basics of uh, the approach that I feel God is leading me to. And uh, I think it's perhaps too long to describe it in detail here, but uh, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, the university is rather closed, uh, so I, I need to reach them directly. And I think one way to do that is to build trust uh, through bringing content online and really to provide them with helpful content and then to give them the opportunity to take the next step, to break it up into a a process of small steps so that they are are able to choose uh, if they want to explore this further. Um, There's a lot of work I need to put into this still, uh, but... um, I always come back to what I said in the beginning. Uh, they're not receiving this opportunity to hear the gospel now. And, and with that, I mean hearing the gospel presented in such a way that they can really understand it with language and presentation that they can engage with in such a way that they can then um, uh, uh, make a decision. You know, So I have no way of controlling what decision they make, but I can make sure that I do the best possible presentation as well, you know, so that's. And so what's your, what, what's your end? I mean, how do you get into present or you said, if I understood you correctly, or maybe, maybe I didn't hear you correctly. You said the university is pretty closed. I mean, do you have opportunities to actually directly engage with the students? And if you don't, how do you get to that point? I think most of it will involve inviting them into events that I I I plan. Uh, you know, going on the campus and speaking with them directly may be possible uh, somewhat, but uh, I'm not going to rely on that. Okay. All right. Um, and I guess, you know, it's hard. Conceptually, sometimes it's hard for me to understand why people come to events like that, but you know, we were all students once, you know, we're always looking for free food or, you know, um, interacting with other people. So that, I guess that's a, that, that is an opportunity. What, what kind of work are you doing on the mainland? Uh, you said you're, you're working on the mainland as well. Is that, is that correct? Uh, well, Iceland is an island, so there's no 
there's no mainland, you know. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought I understood you saying that you also do some work on mainland Europe as well, but your ministry is completely oh, right. on. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, mainland Europe. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with a group of evangelists in, in Europe. So uh, right now we are planning a summit in Belgium, yeah, Belgium uh, evangelism summit in November. And uh, last year we were forced to move our summit online. So we did a lot of work online, actually. We did several outreaches online. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Rice Brooks uh, come and give his uh, Gospel Dead presentation online. And we were inviting people to join us into conversations on Zoom, etc. So that was uh, fun. I learned a lot. And I really believe that that's one of the areas where we need to meet people. Uh, you know, I often think about communication my ultimate proof why communication is at all possible is the fact that God sent Jesus into this world. And when yeah. he does that, he is communicating with us. And, and that's the ultimate example of communication because he steps into our world. He speaks to us face to face, eye to eye, ear to ear. And that's how we need to communicate today. We need to step into people's world. We need to really become one of them and talk to them face to face and listen to them face to face. And uh, there's no escaping that one of the avenues of doing that is online to give people the opportunity to explore what it is to follow Christ. And, and going back to my story, you know, I come to faith through watching TV on my own. There was no one there in person guiding me through the process. So on my own experience, I, I know it works. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about the Trinity. Before God created the earth, the Trinity existed together and they communicated and communed with each other. Uh, so communication is definitely a part of um, the God that we know. And, you know, it's funny, I, I, th I think I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 54 and I've always I, I've never really appreciated the Internet for meeting people or Twitter. Or I've, I've deleted my Facebook, but Twitter's become a real tool for me. It, it's amazing. Um that it's it's actually an amazing tool, and the Lord uses technology. August, tell us a little bit about your uh, journey into Bitcoin. How did you get into Bitcoin? What compelled you to get into Bitcoin? That's very interesting. Um, I'm never, uh, you know. Let me start by saying I, I'm I'm a nerd. As for I'm always reading and learning stuff, and uh, uh, I read a lot of things about you know theology about the bible i'm always studying the bible by the way and uh, i'm always reading stuff but i had never studied economics i had never studied what is money and the nature of our monetary systems so my journey started last fall just about a year ago i started asking the question if i want to protect my purchasing power here in iceland what are my options and I did that thought experiment of just walking through the options that I, that I have. And I realized that they really are not many, many good options. I, I landed on, I think my best option is to buy gold, mm. but there are serious drawbacks to that because I don't really want to keep gold physically in my home because that makes me, me concerned that someone will break in and steal it. <laughs> and then I have to pay someone else. To store it and then if i really need it it's not physically in my hands and that really uh, got me thinking and then there was a friend of mine who introduced me to an, an investment opportunity 
And that investment opportunity was actually using Bitcoin. Uh, I explored that investment opportunity. I didn't really like what I saw. I didn't really trust them, but I, I saw they were using Bitcoin. So I started diving into Bitcoin and, uh, I started reading books and then I read more books and then I read even more books and I became mm-hmm. really, really intrigued when I realized how deep the rabbit hole goes mm-hmm. and how uh how implementing and and how you know the, the the cascading ripple effect of bitcoin is amazing i've been really surprised by that in areas of theology and in, in areas of econom- economics and really just to think through how does human society operate and work mm-hmm. um it's most interesting yeah, that's that's fascinating. You know, I, I think we have a similar journey as in respect to Bitcoin. I as I mentioned before, I've, I've actually been involved in Bitcoin for quite some time. But when I started going down the proverbial rabbit hole, it, it is absolutely amazing how many disciplines Bitcoin touches. And I can't I mean, Satoshi was brilliant. There's no no question about it. But man, if he was cognizant of all these things. He's truly a master, um, but it, it's, it's just Bitcoin. It's just amazing. So, as we were talking, also we were we were discussing, you know, the truth within Bitcoin and Christianity and using Bitcoin as a tool. So, and I, you know, I've I've talked with many Christians that are seeing the same thing. So. J- Describe what you're seeing with the truths within Bitcoin as a ministry tool and potentially right. as a shadow of things to come with um, or the shadow of, of what, who Christ is. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let's, approach it, let's approach it this way. So I often say that regardless of what you believe about this world, uh, we are all operating in the same world you know we are all in the same reality regardless of our ideas about this reality the example i will always take is is you know let's say that there's a there's a door on the wall in front of me and the door is on the right if i believe the door is on the left and i act on that i will crash into in, into the wall if i if i try to run through the door just a simple example to show that if my ideas about the world are off, I will hurt myself and probably others. Okay. So when we discover things that really are true, they are true because they represent reality as it really is. Okay. And then they work and they, they benefit us. Okay. So I believe Bitcoin is one of those things that really represent reality the way it is, the way it is, you know. So, so uh, if we compare that to some of the other ways that we've we've ha- had money, you know, the typical example that we in the Bitcoin world take is this crazy idea that it is beneficial for the economy, for the government to print out valueless snippets of paper. Uh, that is an idea that really does not represent reality as it is it's built on a fundamental flaw in thinking okay so when people regardless of the worldview discover bitcoin 
they discover something that is true about reality. And that prompts them to think about other areas and think about how truth is beneficial. And I've noticed with some of my Bitcoin friends here in Iceland that come from various backgrounds and, and worldviews that they, their thinking is changing and they're very open to, to talk about, uh, what these truths mean about how we understand the world around us. So I am exploring that with a project I call Bitcoin uh, worldview, uh, where I'm doing a little wordplay on the Bitcoin slogan of don't trust don't blindly trust your worldview, verify. Um, we all have some ideas about the world around us, but we need to verify if they are true. Because if our ideas are wrong in some areas, we will hurt ourselves and others. But the more our ideas are true, the, the better off we are. Well, let me ask you this. So the, how, how did we get it so wrong? Are you referring to how did we get our monetary system so wrong? Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, as Robert Breedlove says, you know, money is the base layer of civilization. I, after studying Bitcoin, that, that is such a profound statement. And we got it really wrong. And our civilization, I think what we're seeing right now is a, is a direct result of that. So how did we get it so wrong? <laughs> Well, I could walk you through the monetary history, but you probably have covered that already on your podcast. I think fundamentally, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just asking from a yeah, fundamentally and probably from a philosophical and Christian perspective. And yeah. I'm going to ask a corollary question: Is how did we get it so wrong collectively, and then what effect has that had on the church? Wow. Yeah, I think. The short answer is this. Whenever we break a core biblical principle, it has consequences because ideas have consequences. Sometimes you don't see the consequences in the short run, but you will see them in the long run. My, one of my favorite recent places of this is when God is, is going through the Ten Commandments in Exodus. I think it's chapter 20, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. the, 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 he will introduce the Ten Commandments, but the the, la the verse, the last verse before the first commandment says, "Remember that you were slaves in Egypt." Okay, so the context of introducing the Ten, ten Commandments is you were slaves, and the context is slavery. And in my mind, it's it is clear that if we start breaking some of the Ten Commandments as a society, it leads into slavery. Mm. And our Keynesian printing monetary systems have produced slavery. Worldwide. So totally agree, totally agree. So, and I've asked this question before, I asked this of, of Jimmy Song, but where, you know, if you look at the history of Keynesian economics, and when it came about, I, I mean, I, I know the the social people and all that that brought it about. But where were the Christians? Where where was the Christian worldview to counter what was clearly a fundamentally flawed system? Yeah, you know, the best 
response to bad philosophy is not to pull from philosophy altogether. It is to present good philosophy. The best response to bad ideas is to introduce good ideas and correct ideas. And if you trace our monetary history, let's say from World War One, <clears throat> you will see that we have a lack of strong Christian thinkers and presentations mm-hmm. coincide with our, you know, bad development of monetary history. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you have authors like C.S. Lewis who presents his uh, wartime talks, you know, to Britain, American Christianity. You have people like uh, Francis Schaeffer, but it's not been enough. It's not been enough. And we have had a predominantly atheistic, materialistic uh, worldview uh, controlling our monetary system. And as Jimmy Song goes over in, in a recent talk I had with him, he points out that the Keynesian monetary system is is inherently atheistic and materialistic in its yeah. uh, treatment of humanity. Yep. And that has consequences. And we simply have not been doing our job of pointing that out. We have not been doing our job of speaking up. And to make war matters worse, those who, that have been leading Leaders, those have been that have been leaders in our Christian circles, have really been caught up in the fiat world, have mm-hmm. been really playing the fiat game, uh, probably just not realizing it. You know. Okay, so describe that. Evil people. Well, let's yeah. say let's take the example of the church leader who has a growing conversation. So he takes out a big loan to build up a bigger building. And right there, you, you have a problem because you have entered into, you know, if I go to a bank here in Iceland and I, and I take out a new house loan, the bank may own perhaps about 4% of that amount. The rest is printed out of thin air and added yep. to the money supply. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem. That's a yeah. problem. Yeah. You know, it's, as I mentioned before, I've got this, this, seminar coming up. And if you look at the way these banks work, these fractional reserve reserve banks work with the multiplier effect, and, you know, it's a direct result of Keynesian economics. And as you said before, that is completely contrary to reality. Life does not work like that. Um, So you, I mean, I've got a lot of questions, but let's, let's drill down on um, Christianity and Bitcoin in Iceland especially given the pain that Iceland went through during the financial crisis. I mean, you guys had the, you know, financial services and the banking industry was a significant part of the GDP in Iceland. Does that make people in Iceland look differently at our current fiat system? Are they more hungry for sound money like Bitcoin because of that experience? Yes. Yes. What I've started to do to do lately, uh, when I talk about people, I, I go to the swimming pool. So we have geothermal swimming pools all, oh, all, yeah. all, yeah. all over Iceland. So that's my exercise. And, and often in the hot tub, you have a chance to talk to people. So I will often just talk, start talking about the weather and politics. And then I will start asking people questions about how they feel about what's going on in our government. And then we'll start talking about the history of the Icelandic currency. And I won't mention Bitcoin. 
I, I will just talk about the history and uh, the problems that we've had. And often there will be someone there who will actually bring up Bitcoin. Once the mm. problem is clear enough, they mm. will start exploring options. Uh, I was talking uh, the other day and, and a guy who is around 75 years old started asking about Bitcoin. So, you know, in my lifetime, you know, the year before I was born in 1974, there was 40% inflation in Iceland. When I was around 10 years old, it went above 70%. Oh my goodness. You know, and then we have the crash in 08. This is very real for us. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So as a European nation, probably a lone experience of hyper, not hyperinflation, but really bad inflation with the currency crash, probably most Icelandic, Icelanders, um, that probably informs a lot of their decisions about uh, about money, um, probably more than just regular Europeans. That's That's interesting. So segue into the the use of Bitcoin and, you know, as a ministry tool, how do you see that panning out? And I guess, do we, do, do you think that there's hope out of Keynesian economics? Do it, you know, Bitcoin is hope. We, we know that, that, that saying, but do we really think there's a way out? Do we think that this is going to provide a way out? I believe so. I believe so for the following reason. Uh, the amazing thing about Bitcoin is that you can just start with what you have now and you can start opting out of the wicked system. Uh, that means, I mean, just takes, let's take $50 a month and just start buying Bitcoin and build savings over time. So by doing that, you are opting out. You're starting to opt out of the, of the wicked system and you, you know, think about, you know, when we need to want to change something, sometimes we, we have to, you know, build a political party or we, we even need to take weapons and, and throw our governments and use violence with Bitcoin. That's not the case. You can just slowly, peacefully opt out of, of the wicked system. And you can do that as a church, as an individual and even as a nation. So I really believe that is possible, but I will add this. Um, and this is one of the things I'm exploring in, in my podcast. And that's the question, how does the future look like on a Bitcoin standard? Because I believe that just having Bitcoin, that's not enough. You know, as a Christian, there is a fundamental flaw in the human heart that Jesus is in, in on. And uh, so we need to be aggressive to talk about what does what does it mean to build a healthy society and obviously it starts with integrity it start, starts with having people in in your nation that have virtue and when you have virtue you can have open free rules because you don't have to micromanage micromanage people and that leads to freedom and when you have freedom then people can freely explore religion and other ideas and really work on that. So these three things, you know, freedom, religion, and virtue are all core components of building a human society, I believe. And Bitcoin plays a role in that because uh, without Bitcoin, you, yeah, you are not really free because uh, the freedom of 
private ownership and the freedom of speech are all linked together. And without Bitcoin, you always end up having a central authority that starts to uh, print money and steal people's time and energy. But how do you, uh, it's hard for me to conceive that we can stop the current economic spirit of the age, which is, you know, Keynesian and, and largely socialistic, but we have a lot of people that are in power, maybe not a lot of power. We have a, a few, a, a core group of people that are in power and I don't see them going away easily without, you know, major yeah. disruption. There will be major disruption. I hope obviously, and we all hope it will not be, uh, it will not be hugely catastrophic, you know, with with uh, people's lives being lost and, and society just collapsing in and of itself. But we don't need, essentially, we don't need to remove anyone and we do not need to remove the fiat system. The fiat system will take care of removing itself because yeah, you're right. it, will, yeah. it, will, it will collapse. Yeah. Uh, so we we just need to prepare for that and 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 do what you're doing, what I, we are doing. Uh, give people the opportunity to 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 hear about Bitcoin, to start uh, preparing for the inevitable. Well, so speaking of the inevitable and and the future, you mentioned that you know you like to envision a future with Bitcoin, the Bitcoin standard, so to speak. What what does that look like for the church? What what does what does adopting Bitcoin look like for the Christian? What does it look like for the church? And as I mentioned before, you know, as we were talking, what does it look like potentially for missions? You know, obviously I have my ideas, I've written about it, but you know, I'd be interested in what what your thoughts are as you think about it for the future. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that we who are into Bitcoin have a lot of work to do to really explore that question and do that well. I think uh, I think from missions, if we start talking about that missions, I think imagining a future where where people really are protecting their purchasing power. Uh, I think the greatest impact is in the nations where uh, people haven't had access to having a bank account or or protecting themselves against the purchasing power, and I think that can really. Uh, made a huge impact on our missional activity as we can help empower people to uh, do artist work in such a way that re they really own the fruits of their labor. Uh, the story I often say is, is the story of the guy who lives in a major South American city and he has 10 children and he, he, can, he can barely feed his children by having all of them work. But he knows that if he, if he would sell ice cream on the busy street corner, he could triple his annual income. Okay. He has no bank account. He cannot protect himself against inflations. But he, so he starts saving by putting paper bills into a tin can. And when he has saved for three or four years, you know, inflation has pushed the price of the ice cream cart to double of what it was in the beginning. So he will never be able to save up enough money. He will never be able to, to go out of the poverty trap. So as, a, as missionaries, 
we going into nations that are underprivileged, a big part of the problem is corruption. And the corruption is often fed by people's sense that they don't have a chance. That's right. And the frightening thing is that they do not have a chance. That's that's a frightening thing. But with, with Bitcoin, suddenly they have a chance because nobody can take it away from them. I'm working with a guy in Zambia who I got to know, and, and I hired him as my audio editor, and I'm paying him with Bitcoin. Uh, the economy in this town is, is really bad. People that have education can't even find a job, you know. And we've had series of, of governments there that have just stolen, stolen people's money. Now, all of a sudden, anyone with a five or $10 smartphone can start storing Bitcoin and no one can take it away from him. That is a game changer for, for missions because then, how shall I put it? You know, honest work and property is fundamental to building people's lives. Absolutely. James talks about you, you can't just share the good news with the poor people and just not help them. You know, you, you have to help in all areas of life. So, but I think that's a, having been involved in missions myself, I think that's probably the greatest heart strain on me is when I go on a mission trip, you know, we're doing something physical for them and building a church or whatever, but you know, we don't want to leave cash with them because that creates dependency, Mm -hmm. but there, there almost seems as if we've never had, you know, an option for, helping them out of their station in life. You know, we can go there. It's like a bandaid. We, we, we don't really, we don't really give them the tools to get out. Uh, and it's not that, you know, we have to be careful that the Lord, we're all clay vessels and the Lord's made us for different purposes, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. But, um, we can't just go around preaching the the wealth gospel or prosperity gospel with Bitcoin, but I think it's more than about wealth, material wealth. It's about that fundamental freedom that you just described, empowering people um, to have that freedom that they've been denied their entire lives. Yeah. Do you, so do you think that instead of, you think it's possible to take a course in Bitcoin in a local language to a church as a missional or evangelistic tool? Hey, we're going to have a course on Bitcoin. You may have heard of it. You may not come and learn about it, but use it as an evangelistic tool. You think that is a I think viable so. thing? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Okay. So one of the things I'm picking up from my new friends here in Iceland who are into Bitcoin is that they are spotting problems in Iceland. And they're spotting problems with our monitor systems, et cetera, et cetera, because they are understanding Bitcoin. Now, if I, as a Christian, ignore those problems and if I don't speak about them, I will, I will not build trust with them. You know? mm. If we as Christians go into a given nation and we talk about these problems, we talk about corruption, we talk about the money printing, uh, not as Bitcoin being the savior of the world. Obviously, that, that is not what we're talking about. 
Mm-hmm. But Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money and property, and it's all over the Bible. And if, if we can show how solid, responsible, moral money helps build society and helps build people's life, we are, I believe, uh, meeting a need that people have, just as we meet a need with giving water, education, food, etc. But with this need being met, we are actually empowering people to do something uh, about you know, do do something that will will build their lives in society. Maybe maybe not approach it as a money, but as you said, it's fundamentally a property right. And if you give them the ability to own property, um, most people, I mean, most people would understand owning money, but the the freedom in owning property that cannot be taken away from them, that's that's powerful. Exactly. You know, I can I can liken it to one of the things I often do when I'm when I'm speaking with people about the gospel. I will explain to them that they have a God given authority to decide what they do with the gospel. God gives people the authority to make a decision for their own life. And when I explain that, I I will underline that I will make the best case that I can for the existence of God and why Jesus died for their sins. But there's a line it will not cross as for, uh, you know, for lack of better words, you know, banging them head, their head Mm -hmm. with the Bible or, or forcing them. There's a line I won't cross because at the end of the day, it's their decision. It's their authority. That's right. And it's, it's similar for property rights. If you keep stealing people's time and energy and property, something happens to their mentality. There's a, a level of, of dissolution about what it means to, to live in this world. There's a level of, of, of thinking that says, okay, it's, it's just, you know, they're stealing, so I might as well steal. And there's Nothing no hope. Really matters, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So when you when you restore real property rights and the authority over one's life uh, and the responsibility that comes with that, I, I think we have un- underestimated the the Keynesian effects of our mentality. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. You know, I, I've I've been trying to draw a correlation between the amount of evangelism that has occurred in, in missionary work under hard money standard versus Keynesian economics. And it's kind of a loose correlation. I mean, obviously there was a great awakening here in America in the, in the 19th century, and we lived under a hard money standard. And I'm just wondering if what you just said is, is, is in fact limiting our ability to speak to the, to people's hearts because they they're so consumed with, you know, you know, getting caught up with, you know, their bills or, or, you know, it's, it's this, it's this, um, almost unspeakable thing in their brain that prevents them from having an openness because they're so consumed about the next thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Well, well, another aspect to talk about this is that mission is about having eternal impact. Right? Yes. If you help bring someone closer to uh, crossing the line and accepting the gospel, 
you are making an eternal impact. You're making a difference in, in a life that goes on for eternity. And we know that the fiat system, one of the fruits of the fiat system is that you tend to think more short term. Yeah. Yeah. Your time preference goes up, you know, and, and you are less patient with what you put your money or and resources into. And uh, in my mind, there's a direct correlation there that if we have more of a long time preference, patient outlook to life and to where we put our resources, that will help missions. So we could use Bitcoin as a tool to introduce the concept of a higher time preference or sorry, lower time preference, eternally thinking, so to speak, long term thinking. And that is absolutely Christ-like. Um, so we can, that that could absolutely be a bridge um, to get people to think in those terms. Okay, that's that's good. That's that's very good. August, I mean, what what uh, what other impact, like it, it, in the church proper, what other impact do you think Bitcoin could have? Not thinking about missions now, but in the church proper, as as you've thought about it, what kind of impact do you think it could have? I, I honestly, I haven't thought a lot about that. Uh, I will say this though. I think we need to be very bold in trying out different models of church, uh, because there are different models that work in different scenarios, different times, different cultures. Uh, here in Iceland, for example, we've done very little of exploring small churches. Uh, there are several benefits to that because you may not need a building, you you may not need a parking lot, you may not need a pastor even, uh, and all of those things that I just listed are very much linked with uh, you know the flow of money. You need to pay for the building, you need to pay for the parking lot, and you, do, you need to pay for for the salary of the pastor. Uh, so I think there's a lot to explore there. Um, the church. Uh, has a future. The church is not going away, but the church may change. And uh, I'm actually disappointed that we haven't had more church leaders jump on the Bitcoin wagon already. Uh, I have a friend in an unnamed uh, country in Europe. We've had several conversations about this. And I've been really surprised how slow it has been for him to, to realize the fundamental biblical principles that Bitcoin is upholding. But we'll see what, what will happen. I, I think, uh, to answer your question, the church is going to change uh, how I'm, I'm not so sure. Interesting. I, um, I, as I started thinking about the church and, you know, I put this study guide together, Bitcoin for Churches, I you know, the, the kind of the hindrance to Bitcoin is there's nobody cheerleading the way to Bitcoin like there is for Ethereum or Dogecoin or, or whatever. Maybe not even Dogecoin, but, you know, there's no centralized authority to, to cheerlead Bitcoin. But I think as as Christians, that the ideas behind Bitcoin are so fundamentally Christian because it's truth. All truth comes from the Lord. It, it seems like Christians should be the ones that are leading the way, just like you said, Um so yeah. that's my that's my hope. That's my hope. I think one of the problems is that we we don't talk about money enough in the church, and some people get get a, a bit edgy if you start talking about money. 
And uh, we need to change that. Yeah, because we don't talk about it because it has a negative connotation. I mean, it's usually because, you know, we go and we sit in a sermon and hear the preacher asking for money for a bigger building. And that's it's man, that splits churches, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 But I think Bitcoin can change that for sure. And I, the pastor boy on at City Light Church in New York City, he actually performed a speculative attack with Bitcoin before Michael Saylor did. So he convinced his church board to take their $800,000 in US dollars and put it into Bitcoin in August of last year, 2020. And they're now sitting on several million dollars because of the uh, price increase with Bitcoin. And they've been able to give $100,000 to another ministry because of that. They're about to buy a church building without debt because of that. Mm -hmm. And that's the model I think that the church should be looking at. Yeah, exactly. And that's the simple act of just buying Bitcoin and holding it. Uh, And and really at the bottom of what we need to do is, is that simple act. Yeah. Fantastic. August, do you have any other uh, comments you want to leave with anybody? And I guess you've got this, the Bitcoin, I actually signed up for the Bitcoin worldview and I think Jimmy song gave the, the first session. I, I missed it. I'm, I'm sorry, but um, th- I guess they can connect with you through that. And I guess on Twitter, is that right? Yeah, uh, I have a Twitter handle, uh, August Olofsson. Uh, I also have this project, Bitcoin Worldview. I also have a dedicated uh, ministry for my personal ministry website called IcelandAlive.com. So people can uh, can find me there. Uh, I welcome you know any questions, interaction. Uh, even if you're coming over to Iceland and you want to meet up, you know, let me know. Um, there is. Uh, I just want to encourage people with with these last thoughts that um, truth is like if you're putting a carpet uh, uh, in a room and the carpet is a little bit too big, it will bulk up in one area. So people may push truth down, but it will just bulk up in another place mm. in that room. So mm. I, I'm really encouraged today because um, God is truth. And he is really at work in this world. And, uh, you know, in my nation, we've seen uh, a really a strong rise of uh, atheism and indifference to Christianity. Uh, but when you look at it, it's really understandable because we haven't really had any strong Christian voices or evangelism. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to encourage people, get in the game. Get in the game of, of, of building savings in Bitcoin. Get in the game of doing ministry. Get in the game of supporting someone who is doing ministry. You know, get in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines because we need all hands on deck in, in our times. And there's a great potential ahead of, ahead of us. Praise the Lord. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, August. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace.